0: Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone who has a morbid fascination in how the story sausage is made. We have three central planks to our creative writing manifesto on this show. Plank the first, to make you write more. Plank the second, to make you write better. And plank the third, to make you happier happier. you do those things because it would be nice for you to be happy i think it's an unequivocal moral good to make people happy unless you're doing it by harpooning kittens for their amusement in which case i mean that's a slightly unlikely scenario uh, with a lot of logistics uh but and, and and I actually imagine, and this is what passes for optimism for me actually, a, a niche audience. I think most people would react with horror to that ghastly, uh, gallerio impaled, uh, young cats. But, like, the point is, I mean, that's quite a positive, it's quite a nice thing to think about humanity, isn't it? That most of us wouldn't enjoy that. Hey, eh? we, you know, we'd be often down on ourselves as people, but that would you know be a horrible scene and most people would agree so in these increasingly divided times it's nice that we have you know common ground based on shared humanity and empathy and uh, love of animals uh, hello uh, not quite what i was planning for my intro but sometimes these come up and have to be addressed and uh, maybe maybe it was in the air maybe i maybe i'm just sort of tuned into the zeitgeist in a way i don't realize and and that will uh, strike a nerve for some of you, and uh, perhaps even hold you back from making both a terrible investment and a, uh, a moral error. Uh, in which case, I you make it no apology for slightly waffling on my way in. If I can, um, if I can save one listener from ethical hazard and um, make some kiddens uh, be. Better treated, then I, I feel like the show was worth it. But that isn't the central thrust of today's show. Today is me talking to the author, uh, Adam Christopher. I, I am not quite sure why I paused in front of author there as if I was reluctantly bequeathing the uh, the, the moniker to him. Uh, he is an author. Oh, I, I suppose I was. what was happening was I was choosing between author and novelist. Uh, novel, I, I, they're sort of equal in... Um, in stature, in my mind, I suppose author sounds a bit more... Because it has this kind of the root of authority. Uh, writer is just, you know, it might be a bit... Writer could always always be sort of tickling hack territory. Or just might not be creative. Uh, novelist is, I suppose, explicitly fiction-based. Author, you're sort of... Uh, Colossus-like uh, standing astride the entire canon. Um... But he is an author; it just happens to be. He's also a novelist, uh, and he writes uh, original work. And he also writes for different uh, properties, like uh, he's. We talk about his new uh, book uh, in the novelization uh, in the Stranger Things universe. We also talk a bit about Doctor Who, um, and he's written. So, look, like, one of the things I will say is like I don't watch Doctor Who and I don't uh, watch uh, I haven't watched Stranger Things although I know lots of people whose uh, opinion that I expect to respect to super enjoy them so it was uh, you know when I was reading his his book it, it was a little bit of an on-ramp for me in terms of comprehension but it's a really really interesting chat and editing this which was um, slightly hairy for various boring technical reasons um, which has taken me most of a day to edit not because uh what he was saying wasn't fascinating but because of how the audio sort of chopped itself up um actually listening back I was like oh this is actually really really interesting and actually just gets really down to kind of nuts and bolts practical stuff pretty quickly uh it's really is a you know it's really cool to be able to talk about what it's like writing for another property. He talks about writing some elementary fiction as well, and how he started off writing fan fiction as well. You know, how that was in, he was interested in Doctor Who fan fiction. So, that is, re- you know, some of the practical stuff about if you're writing in a world that other writers have created, you know, what, how does that go? How does that, what does that go like? You know, like what are your restrictions? What, how, how much do you have to plan? How do you pitch for it? Things like that. So um, as well as just, you know, hearing about how we got into writing, there's also some really, really practical stuff. So if you're interested in, you know, writing for other uh, licensable content properties, um, I, I, you know, make it sound incredibly, it's probably like the least exciting way. If you're interested in playing and telling stories in some of the world's most uh, famous universes or, you know, universes, fictional universes that you love um this is uh, you know a good guide to that but of course he writes his own stuff as well uh so i i think it's a really really uh, useful and interesting episode some crossover with my chat with um chuck wendig who you know has written the like star wars universe and stuff like that uh and 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 just i just actually uh, a, a, a terribly nice guy as well and you know i challenge him on a couple of things uh, not because he says anything like, hugely controversial but because i always want to sort of uh drill down into what someone thinks and because i think also the other thing that's gonna be really useful to you if you are a regular listener to the show is i think um adam has some very different ways of working to me uh i think he's you know to probably temperamentally different to me uh he seems much less neurotic than me So actually, it's really useful to get another point of view, another way of working, another way of being a writer on the show, because, you know, I just think getting these different perspectives and getting these different angles at it, and he's, you know, certainly made a tremendous success of um, his way of working, really just, it just gives you more freedom. It's empowering to you. You get more choices in how you're going to uh, do this thing. So I hope it's super useful to you. I hope you find it entertaining as well um i'll put a link to his book of course in fact to a couple of his books in the show notes so if you'd like to check out his work uh you can do that and uh uh, i'll put links there uh certainly you know especially if you're sort of you like uh novelizations of
1: uh
0: uh, stuff that you're interested in or you know if you like stranger things then um i think you know there's there's gonna be loads there for you. Uh, and also just to say and I know I sort of talk about this a bit but because I'm a writer I the only way I <laughs> earn money is through my novels. so I would super duper appreciate it. If you like the show if it you know helps you with your writing um, we don't have a sponsor so essentially the sponsor is me advertising my shit every episode. Um, if you like the show and you want to help me out go grab. Uh, my novels i've got the honors and the ice house which are books one or two in a uh, putative trilogy um so you can go i'll put there's links in the show notes to them as well go grab them that's super helpful to me helps me um earn money and uh it's just lovely to hear people's feedback and uh some reviews have appeared on amazon now and uh, a few on good reason places like that and it's good to see people are enjoying it and actually people seem to like it i want to say like i think it's gone down better than the honors which is a nice it's really lovely actually um uh, if you like weird fiction you might like it uh and of course, if you just want to help support the show, help me cover my costs for running the show, which are things like hosting costs and my website costs, then you can. There's also a link to my coffee page. That's ko-fi.com com forward slash Tim Clare, where you can just drop me a few beans. The price. I don't run a Patreon on this show uh, because I never know. I, I just don't want. I just that. The treadmill of that sort of terrifies me slightly. I'm a I'm a dad, and I also have mental health issues occasionally and I, I wouldn't want to let people down by saying oh you pay this much a month and you'll get this content but if you like the content that you have got and you want to help me out um chucking me uh, uh you know a, a little summing summing uh just makes all the difference uh you know i, I that's it Buy my books, uh, support the authors on the show. And if you want to su- chuck something directly to the show, it's uh, super appreciated. Right, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Thanks for um, uh, listening to me uh, say that, you know, to get rid of um, the, old, uh, uh, the old order of business out the way. And now we can get on with this very enjoyable, I think, um, info-packed interview with uh, author and novelist and writer. Adam Christopher, so t- 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 I don't know why i'm I don't know why I'm kind of like um, <laughs> pausing as if I don't know exactly what the question is i'm going to ask you first because it's one of my favorite starter questions, but what's the first story you can remember telling
1: um, right, this is going back to. Actually, no. I can specifically remember because I still have it. Really, uh, I do. Yeah, this is this is this is the weird thing. 1986, so I was uh, eight years old, and I've got a book, sort of a journal from primary school, um, because for some reason I don't know if this is what happened everywhere, but you know I grew up in New Zealand and my primary school classes had writing they called it process writing and it was writing stories and we had like an exercise book and you'd write a story and you know that's some um, that's amazing to me um that i was doing that when i was um what did i say eight years old yeah, yeah. seven or eight yeah so the <sighs> And the funny thing is, the book that I've got, it's probably not the first one of that year because he kind of went through them, but it's the first story in there that I can remember writing. And I actually remember writing it because it's this weird um, mashup of Doctor Who stories that were on TV at the time Um, because this was 1986. And in New Zealand, um, the doctor that was on TV then was actually John Pertwee because TV was weird back in the eighties in New Zealand, and that was like the current series. It was ten years old, more than ten years old. Um, so I grew up watching John Pertway and I kind of loved Doctor Who, and I was writing my own Doctor Who stories, um, which probably I don't know if that frustrated the teachers or they thought it was good that I was actually writing something because the whole book, it's just a little exercise book and like it's full of, <laughs> it's full of these. These eight-year-olds' fan fiction rewrites of TV episodes of Doctor Who.
0: Do you? I mean, do you remember? Do you remember uh, how your teachers responded to your writing at all? Because I, I definitely can remember a mix of reactions be, be, from sort of everything from real encouragement and kind of you know mentor figures kind of going, "Brilliant, your writing," to kind of a kind of. Uh, something kind of cl- closing in on despair because i you know I, w- I was writing you know like you i wasn't coming up with like brilliant sort of like w- completely original worlds right i was writing about this, the media that i was right. consuming
1: right i think yeah it was a mix of um well actually no, it was all encouragement some of it was sort of more constructive encouragement. I don't know if that's actually a thing, which I've just invented, but constructive encouragement, because I definitely remember, um, you know, because the teacher was the editor, and being told that I was putting too much into stories and that I had to, I had to really focus on, like, the, the kind of core idea of whatever, whatever episode of Doctor Who I was trying to transcribe uh, into my story. Um, But there was this thing they had where you'd have, and this is like, again, I'm eight years old, it was a publishing kind of process because the teacher called herself the editor. And if Mm -hmm. um, anybody in the class, if if any of their stories in their journals was kind of considered good enough for publication, then uh, you'd instead of writing it in pencil in your journal, you got given a ballpoint pen and a nice, that kind of that nice kind of stationary, you know, oh. lined, lined pad and it's like really white paper and you know, because um, the books next those books are kind of recycled kind of newsprint. So you had a pen and a pad and you had to write it out like in your best handwriting and it would be stuck up on the board.
0: Crikey! Oh, wow! That's like a like writing
1: coliseum. So, I think I can only remember um, having one story of mine done that way. Um, uh, I have this vague recollection that there are others in the class who are getting two or three or four kind of up on the wall. Wow. And again, it's probably because all my stuff was Doctor Who, you know.
0: Oh, see, is that, is that, I, am I detecting an, I mean, don't, don't let me project my own feelings onto you, Adam, but like, am I detecting a note of resentment there? Like, it seems, are you nursing like a little bit? What would, do you remember what, I mean, what, what was the kind of, can you think, what was the the popular stories? What kind of stories were like being cherry-picked?
1: I don't know. It was, um, there was stories about horses and dogs and animals um and i was writing about the dogs fighting tentacled auton monsters uh and like, Silurian. I'm,
0: I'm feeling you so much adam like i'm like i feel like i feel like we're going through something together We're like exercising some kind of like deep-seated genre pain. Like I remember, I remember exactly the same thing and teachers really looking askance at me writing stories based on existing properties or including like computers or things that can't happen like wizards. Whereas, and I remember coming, getting to about 10 and kind of finally sort of figuring out what they were looking for and writing this abysmal uh, poem. About that really sort of finger wagging, scolding poem about uh, like battery hens <laughs> and starvation, knowing nothing about it, just throwing stuff like everything in, and 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 being like asked to read it out in front of assembly and really being applauded and kind of having cracked the code, but also feeling kind of sick, like I'd like I'd given like I was. Doing what I knew would please the adults.
1: Written to
0: the market.
1: Yeah. Kind of thing that you should never do in writing. Write to the market. So you had no experience with that. No idea.
0: Yeah, but it sounds like you, the kind of good. Well, there's a happy ending to your story because, despite seeing that, you know, horse fiction would be like the mainstream genre. Um, you, you kind of stuck to your guns a little bit, didn't you?
1: I did. But I think also at the time, because it was sort of science fiction and being a boy, and this is the mid-80s, it was like, yeah, well, boys are into science fiction. And um, and there was also like a trend for kind of medieval stuff like knights and armour and and things like that, which I think I also wrote a little bit of. Um because I was following the trend clearly, um, so it was kind of it was all encouraged, and I'm actually pretty pleased that I kept that journal because at the beginning of it, it's got this. Um, it's not even photocopy. What, what was before photocopies? Those smelly machines that were. Oh, the purple.
0: They called like Banda machines or something. They, where you rolled, you rolled them, and
1: yeah. So there's like a in a staple to the front, and it's basically a letter, a letter a sort of introduction by the teacher which is saying, it's written kind of first person. It's like, this is my writing journal. This is where I write all my ideas down. And uh, no matter what, I'm trying the best I can. And it's great because like it goes on to say, um, if I make a mistake or if I change my mind, I will keep going to the end. And I know that when I'm finished, I can go back and fix things later. And this is the thing. This is like this is just instructions for writing, which I still follow.
0: Crikey, that sounds wonderfully positive, right?
1: Yeah, it's like it's really quite. When I found it, kind of buried in a box of papers. This is probably five years ago now. I was really surprised at that kind of introduction. It's like. This is like, this is writing. This is this is how it works. This is what you do. Um, so to kind of be taught that, clearly the teacher, that's the thing, it's Like I don't know yeah. if this was, you know, it was every class doing this? Was every school in New Zealand doing this? Were we somehow, were we lucky enough to have a teacher who was a writer or a aspiring writer or a kind of hobbyist or published? I have no idea.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you have like a kind of like, a kind of wounded sensei figure who kind of like is just installed in this, school waiting to be activated like 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 Yoda kind of like hidden away on a planet wait <laughs> that's amazing that's so lovely I mean I do hope that it was sort of it would be lovely to think it was best practice and that was going in front of everyone's books but if not how how kind of fortunate that you were to have that as your introduction to writing
1: because writing because it was part of a day I think it was only I think it was only once weekly maybe Fridays uh yeah. And it continued for several years, but it was part of the day at school. It was like, well, you've done your maths, and you've done whatever, and now you're going to write. Um, so it was just like, well, that's writing. Writing is part of what I do every day, because I was taught that at school, you know, um, which is great. And I'm 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 happy that that's how it kind of came out.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's really... It's, re- it's funny how later on in life something that at some point in your life has been kind of second nature you don't really sit down and go oh gosh I wonder if I'm going to be able to write anything today it's funny how it can get harder with time yeah oh for sure can can you talk about um I mean well I don't know actually did I mean were you then like gripped by the bug and did you know I'm I'm going to be a writer or is that something, was that just part of your life, like you say, and now retrospectively you can see the seeds, but actually you had some quite different plans?
1: I think it's probably, it is retrospective. Um, I kept writing, uh, so, so primary school, high school. I had some sort of, some like short stories that were published in the kind of high school yearbook a couple of times. Um, But then I kind of, I went to university and I did did a science degree. So um, I kind of stopped. I would write a little bit of Doctor Who fan fiction because I was still a fan and there was a really good um, fanzine in New Zealand called TSV, which I actually ended up editing at the end. Um, But I could do little, just little bits of, Doctor Who fiction to kind of keep a hand at it. So it was something that I enjoyed. And also, I remember, um, especially at university, because I was sort of doing other things, um, I could feel writing kind of pulling at me. Like when I wasn't writing, I was very aware that I wasn't writing, if you know what I mean. It was, there was a calling somewhere. in a kind of this frustration that I wasn't actually doing it. But, I mean, I was busy. I was doing degrees and I was doing, like, pharmacology and um, all kinds of stuff. So I was busy, you know. (laughs) I had other things to do.
0: Do you you, you think that... Because I don't... I don't... I, you know, talk about that feeling, I you know, I should be writing, I ought to be writing. And I've got very mixed feelings about it because... One, I would never want to suggest to someone that if they don't particularly feel that, but they'd like to try writing, that it somehow makes them a fraud if they're not feeling it. But two, it do you ever find it difficult to like switch off? Because it sounds a bit like that thing, a feeling I should be writing, could very quickly mean that you never, re- you never really are on holiday. Uh, is that something for you? Or was it just a kind of... Was it kind of just like a yearning, like oh one day I must go to Switzerland kind of thing?
1: No, I think it was, it was not, it was the other thing. It was, it was something that would kind of keep me awake at night. And it still does. And that's the thing about it. It's like, and again, as you say, this is not all writers. Um, and it's not a requirement for being a writer to have this kind of impetus to write. But, you know, um, writing is the first thing that i think of when i get up and it's the last thing i think of when i go to bed and that is seven days a week 365 days a year forever um so it's yeah i don't have holidays i'm always doing something so even if i'm not writing i'm thinking about writing but that's not for me that's not a bad thing and i don't think it interferes with like my life um particularly um it's
0: pretty profound right adam like 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 you know we're human beings existing on the earth and you know for you something that's like you know fairly central to your existence is is writing that's that's pretty big isn't it when you kind of put it that way
1: but it's like it is but it's it is but it's not a problem and also i don't think it's as i said it's, it's not a requirement for every writer you know 'Cause everybody's different and everybody everybody's minds work in different ways and everybody has different processes when it comes to writing. Um and I'm not saying it makes me a better writer at all, or a worse writer. It's just a different kind of way of working. Um
0: But it's like but it's like you're talking about and I I I'm, I'm you know, I it's you know, taken as as red that we're talking about uh, your personal experience and one of the great things about doing the show is like we get to encounter lots of different writers and see like a real plurality of ways that people relate to writing but what you're talking about and i you know take your point that you're not suggesting it's better or worse but it's a kind of full body immersion <laughs> form of being uh, writing right it's like these stories are ticking over in your brain like there's always something in the oven
1: well, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, ideas are are easy uh, Yeah, when people ask people ask, where do you get your ideas from? Which is actually a question I don't mind because that people won't actually want to know that. But it's the thing that ideas are like the easiest thing ever. Um,
0: can you can you break that down a little bit? Because if I don't ask you to go into that, there might be somebody listening, really struggling with ideas who goes, what? What? No, tell me.
1: Tell me the secret. I think, for me personally, it is—you know—ideas don't have to be big, and they don't have to be complicated or important or profound. Uh, they don't have to have special meaning. They don't have to—they um, don't have to be connected with with an important event or an important anything. Ideas can be tiny and fleeting and inconsequential, and on their own they can be meaningless. Obviously, it's wonderful if you do come up with an idea, if you do have an idea which is, you know, huge and bold and fantastic, and it's just immediately. But then you get that
0: anxiety that someone else must have thought of this, right? Like whenever you have like a brilliant idea, you're like. Oh, I don't want to look at the internet because this will be a thing,
1: right? Right, but even so, and you can see that in things like TV and film when you get two films come out about people trying to divert an asteroid, and they're you know completely individual and separate. But that's also the other thing: is like even if you do have an idea which sort of someone has done, it's not actually the same idea because the idea is only the tiniest part of the story. And when you actually start to write it, um, it's going to be completely different to what has gone before. So with that said, you know, if the, if the big idea does strike and then you find that it's actually similar to something else, I don't think that's actually a reason to, to discard it because you're obviously not just going to be copying the other story. You're going to write your own story. And the thing with ideas being this kind of infinite pool of, stuff is that you put them together so a story really is you may have a big idea which can drive an entire story but ideas really can be little tiny things that all line up and are meshed together and strung together and form something unique which is what which which was what makes writing amazing because like nobody else will come up with uh what you come up with
0: can you give me some idea some some examples of like what like a, a tiny or a, a little or an inconsequential idea uh, might look like
1: yeah okay so for example um, if I look out my window right now and this is the thing it's like you can find ideas anywhere there's a street and say for example there's a concrete mixer comes down the street they're delivering concrete to a construction site behind the house uh, they unload the concrete they find a the body in the in the foundations nice but i mean that's like that's a tiny idea which has been done a hundred million times before in any kind of crime and mystery fiction but it's something and then you can take that and you can add it to something else because it has questions
0: arise out of it then which is like like because you can then immediately you can inflect that into who does the who does the body belong to what does it you know, what does it look like? Um, and, and those start splitting it into sort of more and more unique things. What is then done about it? You know, who's going to investigate this? Um, who are the suspects? Immediately that idea that on its own, you you know, as you say, may have been done before, although you know ideas are always new to somebody. But as soon as you start stringing the ideas together, I see what you're saying, that it becomes unique.
1: Yeah, the idea that's not the story. So the idea of a guy pouring concrete, finding a body in the foundations, that's not a story. That's an idea. Um, I think I have, you know, spoken to people who are are kind of wanting to write and they say, well, they get this great idea and they start writing, then they kind of they peter out after three pages or 10 pages. And it's like, yeah, because you're writing an idea you're not writing a story. Um, you know, this concrete mixer, if, what if it was the middle of the night that the guy arrives and pours the concrete? Then clearly, it's not really a construction site that's operating normally. So then a the whole other bunch of other things spring up. So you can add, you know, that's another idea, which you're adding onto the first one. So it's completely valid to ask, where do ideas come from? Where do you get your ideas? And that is actually, I mean, I went to some talks by, big kind of thriller crime writers. I mean, I'm talking people that sell hundreds of millions of books. And the questions in the audience were how did you how do you come up with your plots? And yeah, you know, I I found using the word plot quite interesting from the audience because that's what they see. How do you get your ideas? All these amazing ideas. You've written twenty books and they're all different. How do you get your ideas? And that's that's a great question because the answer is the idea is not the story and ideas are very easy and ideas are everywhere. So the question is, well, not the question, but the idea is the idea is that you can, that you put it all together and you form a story. And that's kind of magic of writing. You're creating something. And I say this quite a bit, you're creating something out of thin air that never existed. Even if your ideas are cliches or tropes or have been used or not used um, you know throughout history you'll come up with something unique so I think a lot of people they get stuck they try to write the idea when they need to write the story
0: so I, I, I it's making me think of I know I remember sort of being told that Colin Dexter who wrote the Morse books was say said that like his way of coming up with I guess, ideas or plots or whatever, in response to a similar question was, um, I tried to think of an everyday uh, occurrence and then think of some way that it could go wrong. So, you know, with your cement mixer is a really good one of that, right? You you know, I think we would, most of us agree that a body in the foundations of a building was was, was an everyday experience that has gone wrong in some way. I hope that we would see that as intrinsically uh, non-desirable um although you know immediately I think what's so good about that example actually is that like immediately I know people will be listening having come up with their sort of something their brain will have glommed onto something somebody will be really interested in the identity of that person someone will be really interested in the identity of the person who finds it and how it affects them someone you know like me will be going what if What if the body? What if multiple bodies are being deliberately put into the foundations of this building because it's going to be some kind of occult, you know, place where they cast spells and they're giving it power or something like that? All of these things, um, you know, everyone listening to that can, uh, I think, starts. It's lovely when you frame it like that because actually, then the the question isn't where do you get your ideas. It's like how do you switch off and find some time to go to sleep because your brain is starting to generate story it's just suggesting what if what if and that's a very fertile space
1: yeah exactly
0: can you talk about how you so we got to like the end of you at university and you're you you're you know you're writing doctor who fan fiction you know you're um you know you're engaged in the scene but you're still presumably like being an author isn't really your number one goal. How, what happens that gets you writing books?
1: Um, That's a good question. And I can kind of point to a particular thing. I think with being a Doctor Who fan from a very early age and in a particular era of Doctor Who um, was lucky because I think it's a very literate sort of fandom because Apart from it being a TV show, it's very much based on books because the target novelizations of the TV show before video recorders and all that kind of stuff, that was how you enjoyed Doctor Who for kids, mostly. So it was a very literate science fiction fandom to be kind of be part of. So I always, then later when I got older in university, when the books had changed into things like the new adventures, which were more adult oriented Doctor Who stories set after the end of the, the what they call the classic series now. Um, it was then kind of, well, I'd love to write one of those or I'd love to write a missing adventure, which is one that was set for a, for a previous Doctor. There was a particular point. Um, so I've been writing, you know, on and off kind of all my life. But um, in about 2006, um, I moved from New Zealand to the UK And at the same time as I did that, there was a UK publisher that had an open submission period, you know, one of those rare sort of things where anybody can just send in a, uh, you know, sample and synopsis and all that kind of thing. So I sent something in, this is before I left New Zealand, so I sent something in and I was like completely convinced that it was brilliant and fantastic and what an easy thing it was going to be and wasn't I such a great writer?
0: so you were that. Com- that's real. I mean, that's nice. I, I think that's nice to hear that you had sort of faith in yourself.
1: This is, and again, this is based on nothing. <laughs> this is based. This is like self-confidence from, from Doctor Who fan fiction I'd written on and off for kind of twenty years. So when I got to the UK, sort of a few weeks later, I got the rejection back on the submission, and of course it was rejected because it was a terrible story and a terrible. Synopsis and a badly written sample and it was just a complete load of garbage
0: how did you how did you how did you feel when you got that rejection well i think because you just yeah. that it was gonna they were gonna say yes i right? did but
1: immediately i remember i i knew that i was completely um i don't know not not quite off my rocker but but i knew that of course they said no and although I was disappointed because, I, again, I had built up this thing of, of course, I'm going to get it, I was very practical because my brain, the logical part of my brain was saying, well, yeah, you're not doing this properly, so why would they have taken it? So immediately, that was the moment where I thought, right, if I want to be a writer, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to be a writer, and I'm going to take it seriously, and I'm going to work on the craft, and if I want to do it, you've got to put the work in. So – it was like this kind of switch in my brain flipped um, quite distinctly and I started I started writing properly. I you know, I'm a very routiney sort of person, I like schedules and things, so I was obviously you know, I was working full time, I got up at five in the morning and wrote a thousand words and then in the evening before dinner I would sit down and write a thousand words and I kinda of planned everything out. I also listened to quite a few sort of writing podcasts uh, and things, because I hadn't interacted.
0: Did they exist back in? So, yeah, that's because that's like fairly, I'd be really interested to know what you were, what was about. Well, it was
1: two, this is the thing, there's two podcasts, and at the time, this is before Twitter, um, before Facebook, I guess, I don't know, I can't remember. So I hadn't really interacted with other writers or or the writing community, because having just moved sort of across the, (laughs) <laughs> from one side of the planet to the other. You know, I didn't know anybody or anything. Um, so I'd never been to conventions, never had been to writing workshops or groups or whatever. So the podcasts were actually really helpful because suddenly I was in contact, sort of not directly, but, you know, I was in touch with this other world of writers. So the two that really helped were um, one called The Secrets by Michael Stackpole. Michael Stackpole um, was a a writer who has written Star Wars and lots of fantasy originals. Does battle tech. Um, you know, he's got, He at the time, he was quite well established. And The Secrets was a newsletter and a podcast. It was basically the craft of writing. And this was him just sitting in his computer talking about writing, which I found, you know, fascinating and so kind of illuminating. Um, and the other one was I Should Be Writing uh, by Merle Aferty. Now, that's still going, and Murr is a great friend of mine now, and her podcast, which was about not so much the craft of writing like Michael Stackpole's was, but it was her – not struggles, but her day-to-day life of being a writer trying to get published. This is, what, 13 years later. She's written Star Wars book. She's written Six Wakes, which is nominated for just about every – Science fiction award, there is. Um, so those, so those, the combination of those two podcasts, coming at writing from different angles, uh, really kind of helped me out, um, quite a lot. So I'd, I'd do my writing at five in the morning, take the bus to work, on the bus I'd be listening to the podcasts, uh, listen to the podcast on the way home, do my writing in the evening, um, and that was it. And it was really, that kind of work ethic and routine that kind of kept me going because, you know, I didn't even know if I could write a novel-length piece of fiction because a novel is obviously quite a long piece of work and much different to short stories or anything, certainly to anything that I'd written before. So, um, over, I don't know how long it was, probably a few months, I wrote my first novel Um which I, I, I had changed my whole mindset towards writing at that point because I didn't write the first novel in order to send it out and get it published. I wrote the first novel as training so that I would know that, if nothing else, I could write a novel-length piece of fiction. And even if it was terrible, it would at least kind of make sense. Like, it wasn't just a random collection of stuff. It was actually a cohesive sort of narrative and story. So I did that, and I was like, okay, great, I can do that. So I then started the next one, and the next one, and I kept up that kind of routine, early mornings, um, evenings, and kept listening to the podcasts. By then, this is probably getting up to 2000 and, um, eight, nine, 2009, I was on Twitter, And through twitter i quickly found oh my god there are other writers in the world who are doing the same thing as me so that was a great place to kind of find people
0: can i just say if this is really really interesting because i feel like your way of engaging with this is in some ways really similar to my experience and in some ways is Um, I don't want to say completely alien because that sounds like I'm being pejorative and going, are you weirdo? (laughs) But just, um, can you speak a little bit about essentially what you're describing Mm -hmm. is working two jobs. Right. You're getting up at 5am, you are putting out a thousand words. Now, I often go entire days without putting out a thousand words. I can't, I don't write that. But And then you come home after working a full day's work and you're talking about sitting down and maybe doing another thousand words. And you're saying you're doing that like five days a week?
1: Yeah.
0: So essentially what you're describing is working two jobs. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't... What I want to... I suppose what I'm worried about and please, please, you know, is didn't why do you think you didn't completely burn out you know just like working all day but also you it sounds like you're doing very little except work at that well
1: stage. this is the thing it's like during the day i was a medical writer which was sort of
0: so more uh, yeah. writing i know it's yeah, a it's different, different it does it does use a
1: different, different part of your brain um you know because i did pharmacology at university So I've got that kind of science background. But maybe that first novel I wrote as the kind of training grounds. I'm not saying I wasn't worried about the quality or telling a good story or making a cohesive whole, but I was focused on, can I do this? Can I even do this? So I wrote, and... Maybe that kind of set me up for later because I, I was like, okay, I've got an hour. Let's write a thousand words. And I would type until I'd hit a thousand words. Um, now some days those thousand words were terrific, great, easy, fantastic. I enjoyed it. It even made sense. And then some days the writing was, was like just the most diabolical torture. And you're literally just sitting there hammering out the words, um, you know, wondering when on earth you're going to hit the kind of thousand word mark. Now, that's not how everybody writes. And it's not necessarily a good way to write because, you know, writing is more than just typing. <laughs> it's creative. It's an art form. Um, but I was happy when I did that first novel. It's like, well, I got through this. And I got up at five in the morning and I worked in the evening because when else was I going to do it? So many people want to be writers and it's like, well, if I had the time or the energy or when am I going to do it? It's like, well, we've all got, you know, 24 hours in a day. And if you really want it, you kind of work for it. And I knew that. Yeah. I mean,
0: Adam, I, (laughs) I agree with you. I get what you're saying. And I've like, I sort of used to say this myself and maybe it's just like the place I'm in at the moment, but sort of my worry with anything like that and because it's like I suppose like to give you you know to put it into context like if you said to me you'd been working a full-time job and training for a marathon well I wouldn't go oh gosh be careful you don't burn yourself out I'd go that's amazing what like a I bet you had a I bet you felt really engaged with life. I bet you were doing these things and you're doing this thing that sustained you and I bet training for the marathon was hard. you know you were getting up at five in the morning going and doing this yeah. run, coming home like but I don't think I would feel about it in the same way because I'd understand that those two things are are, are different yeah. um so don't get me wrong i understand, but I, I wonder as writers when we people listen to us say, if you really want it. Just work two jobs. <laughs> like, I just I, I just wonder whether there's, the, what I want to step in to sort of say, and please, you know, do tell me if you think this isn't true, but I, I just wonder whether there's a slight glorification in writing culture of crunch and working really hard and this kind of, like, valorization of the work ethic as being the be-all and end-all, mm. and... I mean look I just talk about it as someone who has like an anxiety disorder and as someone who when I first started, tried to write like had a had a breakdown from like just really wanting it and not being able to achieve it I I I I fully admit I might be an outlier but as admirable as what you're talking about is is it like a sustainable thing for writers to do or should we as an industry saying huh maybe we could be looking at ways that people could get into writing without having like no leisure time (laughs) at all and and getting up at five and doing nothing except working all all day until they go to sleep
1: i guess yes i agree and um There is that kind of glorification of everything being very difficult for writers and you've got to do the crunch and, you know, um, there's a lot.
0: Don't get me wrong. It's like amazing and admirable what you're talking about. I don't mean to sound like I'm telling you off for for going, for actually having worked really hard. It is, it is, it is really cool. And I'm genuinely inspired by hearing your story. I'm just trying to, I'm just, you know, I just, I'm just asking you because I think no, it's I feel like I, I'm
1: interested to yeah, know what you it's think. It's completely a completely valid way to look at it, and I agree with it. Um, in writing and publishing, there are lots of things that are glorified, like it's so hard. Um, you got to put in the work. Like you know, it's impossible to get an agent. It's impossible to get a book deal. Um, all these kind of they're not really barriers, but they're sort of these—these these, not myths either, because they're kind of true. But um, there is definitely this glorification of it's all such hard work. But it's like, and this is while bearing in mind that it is a creative and artistic kind of thing, writing like painting or sculpting or singing or music or whatever. Um, it's also a business. And for example, if I was doing my full time job as a medical writer, but I wanted to change my career to something else, like not even related, if I wanted to become a chef or something, I would have to retrain. And, you know, if I wanted to retrain, I'd probably have to be doing that at the same time I was still actually working because I need the money. Um, and how much do I want? a kind of the new career. How much do I want to be a chef? This is a stupid example, but I should, I, 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 his, want to yeah, be I a love chef. that you've chosen oh, like
0: I, possibly the most stressful, yeah. uh, crunch related right. job you possibly can. You want to do something really relaxing, relaxing oh, yeah. like be a chef. We've all seen Gordon Ramsay. It looks really chilled down out. A
1: gear, yeah. Man. Being a chef. <laughs> but the thing is like the whole, you know, I don't, I didn't have the luxury of quitting my job. Um, because I needed to work because I had to, live. Um, but I wanted to do something else that was I was really passionate about. Um, not only did I want to write for myself but I wanted to turn that into my job. Now, not all writers have that as a goal and, you know, that's absolutely fine. Um, and a lot of writers who are well-established, um, you know, got, with fan bases, readerships, even bestsellers, will keep the day job Um, because they want to because writing is still a kind of good thing and the day job is something they enjoy and you can kind of fit it in both. Um, For me, I needed to find the time somewhere and I think... And it's easy to say, and it is a kind of glorification thing to say, oh, well, how much do you want it? You know, if you really wanted it that badly, you'd put in all the work and sacrifice everything because otherwise you're clearly an amateur and you don't really want it. And that is absolutely a dangerous kind of thing to stay when you get to like an extreme level. It's like, well, how much do you want it? You know, um, which is ridiculous because obviously in life everything is a balance and, you know, things have limits.
0: Also, you can want something loads and still not right. get it or be or be a bit crack at it like i've definitely <laughs> you know this is something i've had to you know engage with in, in my own life but like you can genuinely and sincerely want something and go after it and either through bad luck or being not very yeah, good at it like totally it, it's not a, it's certainly not a guarantee no,
1: right no like, and also this is like i was doing this work you know and again, I'd go to conventions, science fiction conventions, which are full of writers who are published and have agents and publishers and things. And that was a dream. It's like, even when I was doing the hard work, which it was, there was still no guarantee. It's like, wow, I really wish I could walk into Waterstones and see my book on the shelf. That seemed impossible because that has happened to other people. And the stories of it's hard to get an agent, it's hard to get a publisher, um, which are true. they're true but they're possible but at the same time back then that was still this kind of dream that I was heading towards and the only way I could do it was to work at it and and like you know things don't kind of you can't just sit there and wait for things to come to you you have to go out and you have to to find opportunities and, and create that kind of space for yourself
0: I mean, I don't get me don't get me wrong, Adam. I like I don't want. I'm I, I find it so difficult to talk about in some ways because, on one hand, I don't want to disempower writers by going. oh, It's incredibly hard industry, you know. Like there's no guarantees. It's probably not even worth <laughs> trying because we'll lose so many yeah. stories. How many writers would we? we won't get if we if we do that we won't have any writers except i guess like landed gentry <laughs> like the idle right, rich yeah. you know they're the people who could theoretically afford to just sit around and write in their spare time without doing jobs and obviously we want more people doing it but at the same time i just feel i always worry like because it's 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 fantastic what you're talking about but i want I don't know how how to say to to people are like you should work you know you oh you should like it's hard right I, I don't even know I honestly don't know what I think about it which is why it's so useful to hear you talk about I, it yeah and, mean... and and the way you've done it is amazing because you didn't have those all those inns you didn't have like a bunch of friends who worked in publishing you didn't have a fat pile of money so you could just sit and kind of durdle at something you were having to do work and that's amazing and i don't you know i'm it's really inspiring and it's incredible i sincerely mean that i just it's just a hard i know how many people who email me through the podcast who really want to write who wants it so badly and so i always feel very cautious talking about it because i know people's dreams and the way direction people take their entire lives um come out of these decisions and to go you need to go and slog your guts (laughs) out that feels like a huge risk and that's not what you said i should say that's not even slightly what you said but that feels like a huge responsibility and that's why i'm always mm -hmm. That's why I've got these very mixed feelings. And I I actually,
1: I do completely agree. And I think you can kind of, you can simplify it right down to say, if you want to be a writer, no matter what it's for, if it's for yourself, if it's to be published, if it's to do it as a side hobby to a full-time job, if you want to be a, you know, quit and become a bestseller, luckily, if you're lucky, you just have to write. And whether it's a hundred words a day, 10,000 words a day, If you wake up at five in the morning, if you do it at weekends, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how many, how much, how often, when, what time of day, where you do it, if you use a computer, if you write by hand, if you use a typewriter, it doesn't matter. You just have to write. And this is where every single writer is different because every single, not only is every single writer's path to publication different, but also everybody's method and schedule and technique and craft is different. So yes, but you can keep saying uh, writing is very hard. You've got to slog it out. It's a crunch. It's difficult. You know, you got to persist. You just have to write. Like that is it. If you write, everything else will happen because writing and the words are the key for everything no matter what kind of writer, no matter what kind of direction you want to go in. Um, I did it my particular way because it suited me and also because the whole thing of doing the work in the morning and evenings and doing that first novel, I had to get better because the more you do, the more practice, the better you get. And I was completely aware that I was having, I mean, you know, I'd done some doctor who fan fiction and some short stories, you know, which I thought were okay, but that's not a novel and that's not the level that I needed to be at. So I knew I had to train myself so it was like a I the think, thing about the marathon is quite interesting because i like, guess i was working full-time job and i was training for the marathon
0: i think it's maybe it's like also like the advantage of um being slightly slightly well this is just from my experience but being slightly embedded in nerd culture is that you have kind of like the paradigm of gaining experience <laughs> and leveling up <laughs> so the idea that you can if you work at a skill you'll get better um is sort of like baked into your brain in a way that people who believe that art, the arts are just this thing where you're born with a talent. You know, you have this divine gift that's kind of landed upon you and you're either, you either have music or paintings or stories, either they flow out of you or they don't. And there's no technique to learn. That's very disempowering. And that actually does create a hierarchy. The idea that you can turn up and practice and through practice, you'll get better. Um, then you know you can set your cruising speed, but if you keep going, you will get better yeah. it, and I love that actually what you're saying that just if you write, that's the basis to all of it because it actually what you know what I take from that is that the world of being a writer is accessible to anyone um no matter how much time commitment they've got, you know professionally selling in the career side of it, that's you know a little bit more funky and that changes over different years and what you're writing and all these things but the actual just being part of the writing community yeah. and writing and being a writer is accessible to ev to yep. everybody Absolutely. and i think that's like a wonderful yeah.
1: message totally
0: can you so we've talked sorry i'm sorry to sort of steer you towards the kind of like grass <laughs> part of it rather than can I ask you to just kind of balance that, and then I think we're going to get on to a couple of things you've written because obviously that would be that would like put a lot of this into context. But what? Sorry, I'm just going to sneeze. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got really <laughs> bad oh, hay yeah. fever. Oh, <laughs> excuse no, me. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, what I wanted to ask is, can can we talk a little bit about the joy side of it? Like, the things that you really enjoy about writing, the stuff when you're writing. Uh, when you're having one of those days where the, the thousand words just, like, flows out... Yeah. You, can you ex- maybe reflect on, you know, what you enjoy about that, or, you know, like, the t- what are the times in writing that really bring you pleasure or satisfaction? And... Uh, maybe you could reflect on what's going on there. Is there sort of, you know, are there ways that we can help create those situations? Or
1: I think, yeah, it goes back to this idea of practice and getting better. Um, because now, having done it for quite a while, the yeah, you know, the the enjoyment I get out of writing has has gone through different phases and different stages, and is very different now to how it was back, you know, when I was starting out. Um now the enjoyment I get is the way that the writing this is on a good day can kind of take over and although I have an idea of what I'm writing and what I need to write, if I've got an outline I'm following or an idea or whatever, what happens as I type is not what I expect. And hopefully, on the good days, what appears on the page is better than I thought of, or better than what I thought I was going to write when I started. Um, you know, for example, right now I'm editing um, a short story, which is coming out next month, and I know what the changes required are, and I know what I have to do with the characters. And I, I've kind of revised um, a chapter, like a section, and it although it's editing, so it's not really, it's not writing fresh, but it's, I had to redo a whole section. And what I typed, what came out, what the character was doing and feeling was entirely the character's own creation. I was basically just transcribing transcribing what the character was kind of feeling and, and thinking and that's like the best kind of writing and it doesn't happen every day but that's when the enjoyment is because I can I finish and sit back and read it and think that is actually it's actually not bad um and it's actually it's not bad in the sense that it's better than I thought it was going to be and this has introduced surprising new kind of ideas or character actions or revealed other parts of the character that I didn't really know were there. Um, Now, sometimes...
0: How peculiar? Can I just... It does sound, (laughs) when you reflect on it like that, that the bits of
1: writing you enjoy the most
0: are the ones that don't feel like they really come from you. Well,
1: people... I've had people express kind of bewilderment at this idea that Characters come to life and do things that the writer doesn't expect when the writer is the one in charge and doing the creating. Um, but it's the thing that happens with writers, I think, when you really into the work. Because if you're creating a character which is kind of full enough and rounded enough as a believable character, then they do sit somewhere in your brain. And when Things kind of get flowing, they kind of have a mind of their own. And they, they, this is, this comes out in the writing when they, when they do things which are, which are unexpected. Well, not necessarily unexpected even, but even, but just stronger or they're sort of asserting themselves on the page beyond what you had envisaged. Um, and it's a sign that it's a really good character. When, Sometimes I've had whole books where for a particular character or something, it doesn't happen. And I kind of know then that, well, the character's maybe a bit cardboard, two dimensional. If it's a minor character, perhaps it doesn't really matter because as much as we like to think that, you know, every character has their own story, sometimes you, but, you know, you just have to put them to one side. Um, otherwise you kind of would go off in a different direction. But you see, this is a different kind of enjoyment to, to what I used to write before. Um, Where, you know, the first, that first trash novel I wrote, the enjoyment I got was, I actually got to the end and I had this big bundle of pages and there was a kind of, it was more a sense of satisfaction than enjoyment. Um, because I knew that I was learning something and I was developing some new set of skills, which would be, you know, useful later on. Um, and there's still an enjoyment then and an enjoyment now of kind of bringing bringing ideas to life and linking ideas together to form a a story. Um, you know, the actual typing and like sitting and typing or writing by hand, whatever you want to do is not necessarily enjoyable. (laughs) It's like, you know, it can be, it is, well, it is hard work. Some days it's great. Some days it's like, really, you can't be bothered, but then it's like, and this is the kind of arts versus business side of things, you know, um, If you go into, if you work in an office and you're having a bad day and you can't be bothered, you know, you still do your job. Um, It may be a tough day, but you kind of still do it because otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah,
0: but but you, it may be a tough day, but I think the key difference is you, you know, you can't really excel in data entry. I'm sorry, that's (laughs) kind of was making a pun on the spreadsheet program. I'm not, but like, you can't really. Like, you, with some, certainly some jobs I've had where there's no, you can't really be a flair player in the role yeah. you're in. Like, you either do the work or you yeah. don't. But there's no capacity for self-expression. And there's not really much capacity except sort of not not paying attention to screw it up. Whereas what we're sometimes talking about when you turn up at the page and, and, and it feels difficult you know i don't know whether it's the same for you but i actually really like to hear your well, it- feeling about it but the, the the is it are you you know like when when it's a bad day then what i have is the feeling i'm writing badly this is going to be dreadful um rather than you know sometimes maybe i can't be bothered but often underneath that is a deep deep fear that I'm not good enough oh, to yeah. do this.
1: But, that's, but the thing is firstly that is a feeling I have every day and secondly you can fix it later so if I'm having a good day and I get all my words done and I'm feeling really happy great if I have a bad day which is sort of the equivalent of going to an office and just cruising and getting away with it for eight hours I do that with writing as well but I'm still typing something now it's going to be garbage but I can fix it later it's still, hopef- you know, I'm not going to sit there and just type gibberish. I'm going to sit there and say, well, if I need to finish this chapter and this character's got to get over here, I will write something which is finishing the chapter and that character is getting over there, and I'll fix it later. At least the next day when I pick up, maybe it's a better day, and it's like, okay, next part, what's going to happen? Um, so it's the kind of, I look at it like, this: writing is the kind of the clay on the wheel. But this also... Goes back to the how I kind of trained myself to write, whereby my first drafts are fast and kind of dirty. Um, the second draft is much cleaner, like really, it's a like a rewrite. It's an edit, but it's really a rewrite because I am um, completely aware that my method of working is horrible first draft, good second draft. Um, so there is, there does come a point where you do have to show up and put in a star performance because you can't, you know, you can't keep cruising through however many edits. At some point you have to fix it and it has to be good. But that's the same as any kind of job where at some point you have to be good. So I, the, the whole, the fear and anxiety of I'm writing rubbish and this is a bad day, that's kind of, how I feel all the time even when it's a good day because that's just writer anxiety um, but it's one thing now that I don't let it impact what I do because I am now at the point where I have deadlines I'm being paid to write people a lot of people are expecting things um, so I have to show up and I have to put in the work.
0: Can I ask you the, the possibly um, the most cliched yet most controversial question that um gets asked to writers um except where do you get your ideas (laughs) um which is are you a plotter or a pantser because this seems to me you know when you talk about keeping going well if you're not sure that the story's heading in the right direction and you keep going then you're kind of potentially just marching deeper into the woods and getting more lost so I'd be really interested to know how what you said sort of squares with that and what your technique is in terms of do you uh, improv your way through do you have a big outline and especially because you know you know you're writing stuff where there may be established characters where there may be licensable content where you may be moving between the arcs of two stories that are on screen or whatever. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so
1: I think I write um, sort of somewhere in between the kind of the plotter and the pantser, so the the outline and the just make it up. Um, For my own original fiction, I tend to write probably a couple of pages which are sort of broken down into... They're not chapters because two pages is not enough, but they're more like just kind of general sections where I've got the story sort of outlined broadly, not really, but I've got a beginning, middle and an end. And then I have an Excel sheet, which is literally just a blank sheet, and I'll make a list. And the list is like a list of story beats, and that's all it is. So not even divided into the chapters or you know whatever it's just a list of things that have to happen um and i kind of keep referring back to both of those and i make adjustments as i go so i'll add in rows to the excel sheet where i know something else has to happen or i'll combine rows or whatever and that sort of suits me at the moment um can you give me an example of something that
0: might be written on the excels sheet just so people who might want to try out this sort of method of working for themselves or adapt it somehow you know what you know what might be like in one of those bits like what what how what kind of level of detail are you going into
1: i guess it is almost one sort of one line per chapter even if the chapters are not kind of set so for example for a book i had you know, the, the character uh you know he's mugged at the beginning and then um he gets a job so he's a detective so after the mugging the client new client walks into his office and gets him a job he then he then goes to the first location that she suggested to get more information and he meets this other character then he and the other character have a private meeting after which he goes back to the office so each of those things would be a line on the spreadsheet. Some of those things will be their own chapters. Some of them will be just part of the same kind of chapter. And that's really all it is. But if you end up with, you know, 50, 100 rows of that, you actually you have got your story. Um, Sometimes also that allows me to skip ahead. So if I've got sort of 10, 10 things that have to happen and I've got this great idea for this dramatic moment kind of later, I can just put it in at like row 50. And i not okay, so I've got to get from row 30 to 50. And maybe I've got two other things which I know are going to happen. So that'll be row 35 and 41. And then you can kind of just link it all together. Nice. So you've got some like ten tentacles yeah. almost
0: that are like yeah. holding the story up and then you can work backwards or fill yeah. in the gaps.
1: And then the sort of two-page, which is more an outline-outline, which is still just rough ideas, but I change it. as as I go through. So I'm not really working, that's not the kind of concrete document I'm working off. I sort of change it to suit what's happening. Because again, this is the thing where characters start doing things which you don't expect and the story can go off in a different direction. So if you're rigidly adhering to to an outline which you've spent a long time preparing, there's kind of two things. It's like, well, firstly, either you've spent a lot of time writing an outline you're not going to use ultimately, or on the other side, you're forcing characters to follow a path according to an outline when really they should be doing something else you know
0: it's like i, I spent ages building this adventure for you and you want to go off and do something yeah. else and that's when you get characters you know you find your self writing characters where they they go Please. maybe he <laughs> should go home maybe you should phone them and and tell them but but no yeah. They'd never no. believe him, and you're like, "Well, let's well, is he going to try?" Like your yeah. character, it seems to make sense to your character. Characters following
1: the plot is the is the worst kind of thing. You know, the plot is there to serve the characters, and the story comes from the characters and their actions. So, you see it in sometimes long running TV shows where characters start doing stupid things because they're following the plot that someone has written. Um, but yeah. with the licensed work, this is a completely different kind of kettle of fish because um, they. Because you don't own the, well, I mean, you make up the story, but like the characters and the setting and all that are owned by someone else, you have to write a long, detailed outline of the whole book. I think for the first elementary novel, so elementary is that Sherlock Holmes TV series set in New York, and I wrote two novels for that. Um, The first one, which was my first work as sort of licensed fiction, I think the book is eighty thousand words and the outline is twenty thousand words. So Crikey. yeah, it's like a quarter a of quarter the quarter
0: of the length of the
1: book. It's uh, because it's like I had to do like break everything down, the whole story beginning to end, everything that happens, every chapter, there it is. Because that has to be reviewed, you gotta revise it to make changes, it has to be approved. Changes have to get approved, it's revised again more changes, more approvals. There are so many layers and hierarchies of people that need to see it. It really has to be Because you like can't
0: that. make it canon that like the character loses an arm and has right. it replaced by like, a cybernetic yeah, one or something it. like that. Like, that doesn't fit mm-hmm. with the continuity.
1: Yeah. But I mean, the thing with that is that although then you are writing from an outline which is kind of locked in, and as I just said, that's a danger because the character starts following the plot, when you have that level of development of a licensed Property in conjunction with the people who actually control it, you know for a fact that what you're doing is right and it fits the characters. Um, That's a good you know. point
0: because you've got more of a the, the character is already yeah. developed in your yeah. head to the extent that when you start writing that outline you can simulate what they might do in a given situation a little bit better than if you're that's writing right. something original with characters that you don't know as well. Yeah. Because that's what I've found is often I plonk a character down in this situation that I imagined imagine be- they're being in. And there's just some much more logical or interesting things that they want to yeah. do. And I'm like, well, I guess I never looked at it from in context. I was just breezing this kind of like outline and now i'm down here with you yeah d- right, damn right, right. you want to go you don't want to go back in yeah good for you like so it but with a yeah i see what you mean that when there's a character you've seen them be through adventures you before, know when, they, they, yeah, when you yeah. yeah so can i ask a, a little bit about um that's really really interesting though and it, and it's fascinating that you've got different ways of working for different things do you have a preferred way of working out of those two is is one sort of easier than the other i think they're both
1: actually very different kinds of writing um not just in terms of the work you have to do like the outline and and that kind of thing but when you're doing tie-in fiction so i've done elementary i did three novels for a video game series called dishonored and i've just done stranger things um you've got two jobs you've got You've got to write a novel, right? Of course. it has got to be a novel-length piece of fiction that is interesting, entertaining, well-written. Already, already incredibly
0: yeah. difficult on its own, right? But, <laughs> yeah. Plus
1: you have to not only craft that story within the, the, the constraints of the property that you're working for, you then have to use characters that have not only... Um, have already existed have been created by somebody else but have been portrayed on screen by very fine actors who are very good at their jobs um, so you have to you have to kind of do all those things so you have to really write a story and nail the characters and the setting and the story as well as being novel length has to fit within the universe of what you're writing so it's kind of so
0: it's like having a sword fight while being on the on unison yeah
1: it's like it's it's double to triple the kind of work
0: um, my goodness so my question can you actually i wonder if you could dive into a little bit to um uh your stranger things book because that's just yeah. come out and um m- maybe like obviously without too many spoilers maybe you could talk about how you approach that and what it's about because that might give a good example about how you (laughs) because you make it sound really tricky and of course there are lots of people already out there who love the thing you're writing about and are invested in the world and are invested in the characters so how do you get around that because that sounds to me incredibly intimidating um
1: yeah and it's because people know people know the characters people love the characters And you've got to get it right, because if you don't get it right, the whole thing falls apart, Um, which is why with tie-in writing, because a lot of people do ask me, and I think all tie-in writers get asked, you know, fans of whatever you're writing will get in touch and say, I'd love to write a story, I'd love to write a book, you know, introduce me to the editor, this is going to be great. It's like, are you a writer? You know, I have had, I've lost track now, but I had had a lot of books published before I was asked to write elementary, which is the first one, because with any tie-in property, because it's hard work, it's hard work with very special conditions attached. Not only is that kind of the double to triple the workload, but you've also got insane deadlines, which come from the fact that so many people need to look and approve things that the time frame is just so super condensed. So you have to have the experience to be able to kind of pull everything off at once. Which is also why it's not for everybody. Not every writer wants to do that. And I think I I enjoy doing that. And I am looking forward to doing more because I find it satisfies a particular need in my kind of writing life. But um, in terms of like doing like Stranger Things, for example, so the call I got was they were doing Stranger Things novels uh, the first book was being written by uh, Gwenda Bond. That book is called Suspicious Minds, um, and that was dealing with a certain character in their background. And they wanted, the second book was going to be Jim Hopper, who was the chief of police in the town of Hawkins, which is where the TV show Stranger Things is set. Um, it was going to be Jim Hopper in New York City uh, as a cop hunting a serial killer. And that was it. Like, that was the whole brief. Jim Hopper, New York City, serial killer. Um, and again, this is like the, the kind of business side of it. They wanted a writer who could do that without much help because the people who are making the TV show are making the TV show and they're spending millions of dollars and endless hours with a huge staff making the TV show. They don't, you know, the tie-in novels or comics or whatever it is, are really secondary to their primary job because there's a lot riding on their primary job. So they need to be able to hand it off to someone who knows what they're doing. And they can kind of be left alone, in conjunction with a publisher who can manage it and manage the writer and kind of meet the expectations of of the kind of license holder. <clears throat> so that was the brief for Stranger Things. So I, I had a few calls with my editor, um, Adele Ray, who had some ideas. I was already a fan of the show, so I knew the character and I knew the timeline because the thing about Stranger Things is that the TV show is set in the early 80s, so it's like uh, 83, 84. I think the new se- season coming up is 85. So going backwards, I could just work it out. Well, Jim Hopper was a cop in New York, so it's going to be late 70s. I knew his kind of backstory that we see in the TV show because I watched the TV show and I was a fan of that. I was already invested in the character. So I kind of built up his, his timeline and realized I could, Oh, I could do this. I could do this and wrote an outline. And again, the outline wasn't as long as 20,000 words, but it was probably 10,000, maybe not, maybe not quite. Um, because I had that experience. This comes from the experience of writing. I've written tie-in fiction and i written original fiction, so they kind of like, well, you know, you know.
0: Is it nerve-wracking when you send off that initial um, thing? Because I guess then someone's sort of having a look over it, and various people have to look over it. And yeah, like how, do, how does that how does that feel when you're waiting to hear back?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying because um what if, you know these outlines that you need to do for licensed work are so detailed. It's a lot of time and investment and energy, and if they hate it, then you're kind of like in trouble. Having said that, they weren't yeah you know, they weren't going to hate it because they'd chosen me specifically to write this book because they thought that I was suited to writing it. Not just because I had the experience of writing other novels and other time novels, but because having, they'd read my previous work and know that, yeah, this particular character, Jim is a cop and I'm interested in kind of, uh, you know, crime, mystery, thriller type thing. And although I write science fiction and that kind of thing, I had always injected bits and pieces of kind of mystery and thriller into my work, which is why they felt I was suited to write that character. So ultimately, I mean, they weren't going to hate it, but it needed changes. It went through probably four different drafts, and I think, the of this is the outline, you know, the fourth and final version is quite different to the first one, but that's part of the process. It's, it's a collaborative process of developing the story, um, being able to work with the people, not only at the editorial side and the publisher side, who, you know, are really great editors who know their job so well, but the people that have written for the original property, in this case, you know, Stranger Things, a TV show, who really know it inside out and have, you know, have their own perspective on what the story needs to be and how that's going to fit in with the universe they've already established. How is that? Because um,
0: I suppose, I suppose, like I, how, how is that experience? Because I have written, I've, I've like written for video games and stuff and actually, to be honest, expected to find the process agony and really really enjoy the <laughs> yep. i've like almost mm. like weird freedom of writing for someone else's stuff like that i actually got to just focus on what was happening in it like parts of the story were already done for me and i could just kind of play in this world yeah but um i mean i know not not in this project of course because they were all incredibly professional but do you, you know do you get people just sort of sticking their oar in and, and being like oh Hey, maybe he could have like a a funny sidekick who's like a cartoon bunny or stuff. Like, do, like what ha- what happens if someone makes you know something that you perceive to be like an unhelpful suggestion, um, but they've got s- senior? Like, how do you how do you deal with the back and forth when you know what's your position as a writer if someone says you should change this and you think that is going to make the story a lot worse? How
1: do what? How do you broach that? You know, that's no, right, That's right. But also people who are involved. On the other side of things, um, they have they can obviously obviously have a different, a very different perspective on the pro- on the property than you do as a as a until that point a fan or a kind of viewer or consumer or whatever. And certainly, I've argued my case for these projects where either in response to suggestions or response to edits, I've said actually no, this does fit because of this or this, and sort of citing examples of where this has happened or where it's been seen before. And usually they've kind of deferred to that because, you know, people actually making the stuff, whether it's a TV show or a game or whatever, sometimes don't have, don't actually have the whole picture, um, which is good because from from my point of view, I can actually make a proper contribution and, and kind of keep things on a, you know, heading in the right direction.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. So, you, so sometimes actually, you're saying that you they know how how would that work? Um, that they wouldn't have access to those. Can you give me an example of what that would? Are you saying
1: they don't know? You have they not watched it? Or well, <laughs> so for example, I mean, I can use Elementary as the best example because that's yeah, the TV show spans what 120 episodes. Um, and when I was writing the first book, I had Sherlock do do a certain thing, and he used a certain piece of equipment. Um, and the comments came back from the from CBS. It's like, no, he does, he never does that, and that piece of equipment doesn't exist. It's like he's never used it. It's science fiction. You can't use it. This is ridiculous. And I could say, well, actually, in Season 1, he did this and this, which fits with his behaviour, and a piece of equipment, which you say is science fiction, appears in Episodes 6 and 8 and 10 and 11. Now, that's not to say that they hadn't watched the show, or they didn't have access to all of that material, but if you have a writer's room of 20 people, and you've got producers and the showrunner and different levels of the production, not everybody can have that encyclopedic knowledge um of the property because they're just doing their job, getting the show out, working, you know, um, on that on their task. Whereas I'm a fan, I can sit back and I can watch the episodes and I can watch them a hundred times and I can go through scenes, you know, frame by frame and see things that you forget. You know, the creators, the people write stuff and they forget it. Um so it's not it was, it was kind of surprising, but I'm not, I wasn't blown away by it. It's like this piece of equipment. Yeah, you know, he used it in three episodes. And actually, it is kind of, it's not science fiction, but it's pretty cool. It's a piece of tech gadgetry, which is pretty cool. But he used it. And they're like, okay, fine, you know. Um, so the advantage that I've, I have, I have an advantage, you know, in Stranger Things, we really worked on the dialogue of one of the characters. So, there's a kind of framing device of Jim Hopper talking to Eleven, who, you know, as a kind of has now adopted daughter who was, was kept in a laboratory for her whole life. She's about 13, and she was used experiments into, into um, you know, telekinesis and psychic powers and stuff, kind of being developed as a weapon. But as a result, her behaviour and her dialogue is very particular to her because she's grown up in a very peculiar environment. And it's kind of damaged by all that. So her getting her dialogue um, was absolutely crucial. And that took a lot of good back and forth because I'd put it in and they'd be like, no, this is not quite right because she says this or this. And like I can kind of argue and saying, yeah, but in this episode, she says this, which kind of breaks the rules. Or in this episode, she says this, which again is like not quite the character. So you kind of in that situation, it was getting sort of a compromise between the two. Because it has to be a book that you can read, uh, you know, as a book, um, and not just a transcript of what you might see in a TV episode. Because that's the other thing. Is like, it has to be its own thing. And sometimes, because, you know, what you see visually on a screen is different to how you read something in a book, you have to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, but again, it's not unexpected. You know, these people are making... They're spending a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of effort making a TV show, and they can't be expected to have the same point of view as someone who can lounge around on the couch and watch have many episodes in a row kind of thing.
0: Well, it sounds like in that instance, everyone's working. And I'm sure it's true in all of the cases, but particularly in that kind of getting the dialogue right, it sounds like everyone's like sincerely committed to making the book Oh, the yeah.
1: yeah.
0: It can be, right? So like it, it, that sounds you know constructive like i don't think i mean anyone you know i'm sure when you're writing your own original fiction that it's not like you you hand it to the editor or your agent or whoever and they go great there's uh, i don't have any comments to make about <laughs> this this is perfect because it is your world and i'm not yeah, allowed to yeah. have an opinion yeah. about it like you you want that support like without it your books going out into the world kind of naked I, I i feel so grateful for agent and editor and you know even on the copy editing level just making my sentences read better <laughs> yeah. is such yeah. a relief because i largely get the credit for that and i'm a much worse writer than any of my actual published books would suggest because i've got this phalanx of yeah. experienced professionals who step in and go uh, tim don't yeah, write that that's right that's that's bad. And, and then and then we and then we cut it out and i'm like phew i like I had some spinach in my teeth and someone pointed it out to me. Thank goodness.
1: That's exactly what it
0: is. Yeah, yeah. C- can you um, can you talk a bit about... Um, I just wondered, thank you so much. It's really, really interesting and fascinating. And I can see how for all those kind of issues of needing to please various people, it does also mean that you've got a kind of network of people giving you guidance and checking over the book. Mm. So, you know, it sounds... So, you know, in some ways it's intimidating, but I guess I also appreciate how, um, you know, you get to contribute to the larger yeah. sort of mythos yeah. of a property, which is kind of amazing. Which is what, what um, and that,
1: that, is, uh, that kind of attracts me as a fan, because oh. I wrote Doctor Who fan fiction because I like Doctor Who. So, although this is not fan fiction, it's like this is it, it's kind of itching the same, scratching the same itch sort of things like i can contribute something that actually exists in that world now um which is great
0: yeah and i and i would always sort of i'm always very minded to sort of knock down the distinctions the hard distinctions at least between uh, original fiction and fan fiction in any case i don't know anything that I, i've ever written that hasn't at some level been a disguised form of fan fiction maybe just like various bits of fan fiction kind of smushed together mm, yeah. but so many characters and worlds are homages to things I've loved whether it's conscious or yeah. not their think I you know so much of what I write comes from me watching something and, and like as I'm watching go wow that's a lovely brain <laughs> toy to play with that mm. kind of character or that magic power or that world or just that feel that it makes me have in my tummy I wonder what would happen if X was transplanted into Y situation. I wonder what would happen if character Z had to deal with this situation that they haven't dealt with before. And I think, you know, so much fiction, just original fiction, is kind of fan fiction with the serial numbers yeah, uh, yeah, filed up. Yeah, that's
1: right. But that, that goes back to the end of What's the thing you enjoy about fiction? And it's that kind of that discovery that you make as the writer. Um whether that comes right at the beginning when you get the initial ideas, or whether it's when you're writing, you're deep in the draft and the characters does something weird that you didn't expect. Um, it all comes from the same kind of point, I think.
0: Can you, I, I just wondered, Adam, if you could, because it seems to me like you're actually good at a lot of things that I'm not very good at uh, uh, as a writer. And so it's really valuable to have you on the show because you get to basically give an all alternative way of working like I give as much advice as I can on the show but I'm very aware that a lot of the emails I get are like now I've got your critical voice in my head Tim and I'm finding it harder to write and I'm like oh no that is the genuinely the last (laughs) thing I want um they're like oh it's really good I've got a much better sense of what's a good sentence or a bad sentence but I can hear you in my head saying don't do that and that makes me a bit sad um I was just wondering, like, if you could talk maybe a little bit about uh, if somebody's listening and they want to write, and I know you've spoken to this a little bit already, but um, some things that you could sort of pass on that might be, especially, I suppose, actually what I'm asking for is kind of a veiled question because I'm always asking about myself as well, but maybe for someone who isn't as naturally or as by temperament organized as you, um, who maybe finds that kind of like discipline or self-motivation a little bit harder, it, you know, are there some tips you can give us to sort of get into it? Or some ways that someone might start applying a kind of like, you know, can you help on un- onboard us to the dark art of getting stuff done?
1: Yeah. See, I'm a very, dis- well, not, I'm not going to say... I'm a very disciplined person. I'm a very routine-based person. So I found that setting even a tiny routine um, really helps. A tiny routine would be before I sit down to write, I make a particular type of tea and I have it there at my desk and while I kind of get in the mood, maybe I'll put on a song that I like on the computer. Like, that's five minutes of routine. Can be. Yeah, it's kind of this Pavlovian response to um, things. I respond well to that. I wrote a whole draft of a novel to one album by one band, and it got to the point where wherever I'd hear <laughs> a song... I would be wanting to write the book, which is the ultimate. It's the ultimate tr- self-training. It's kind of zombie-like in a way. But um but like this, just little things like that. It's like if it's very, you know, it can be very hard to sit down and write. And my overall advice is, all you have to do is write, and it doesn't matter. As I said before, it doesn't matter where or when or how or whatever. But if there's a little thing you can do to make it better, that you know that when you have a chamomile tea. Then five minutes later, it's time to write. That's uh, that can be enough. Um, it can, but it can, it can eliminate the anxiety and the fear, and the don't want to do it. <laughs> you know, and I'm having a bad day. Um, and it's training yourself. It's, it's like it's not a trick or a shortcut, but it's like it's just a thing, and you can, you know. That's really it. And also it doesn't take time or investment. And we've talked about like the crunch and the hard work and all that kind of stuff. And absolutely, you know, dive in. Great. But it doesn't have to be. It can be the little things here and there. And if you can get yourself into that kind of habit of doing something. And I think it's the same with not just writing, but like any kind of project you want to do. You have to do it. And if you, and you have to get yourself to do it, which is the hard bit. So. Little things that you can find that just nudge you in the right direction. And then, you know, hopefully, yeah, they say it takes like three weeks to form a habit, um, or to change a routine or something. So you just got to keep at it. Like, yes, it does require work and effort. Like, writing is not easy. Um, so at the same time as like, it doesn't have to be the super time crunched deadline hell, up all hours writing. Um, it's also not the, Kind of just wandering around, looking out the window wistfully, waiting for the muse to strike. Because if you train yourself, you know the muse can strike at nine o'clock every morning. Um, you know, I mean, you have you have said,
0: yeah, but you have said yourself that like some mornings the muse doesn't exactly strike every morning. You turn up and lay the table for the muse if it wants to turn up, but like sometimes it just doesn't come. But you sit there and turn up anyway, right?
1: Because I'm now in a very fortunate position and a kind of privileged position where somebody's paying for what I'm writing. So I need it at some point. I need to show up and do the work. Um, So if it's a bad day, unless I'm sick, you know, I need to write something. It can be fixed later the clay on the wheel you can't you can't fix an empty page you've got to get the clay on the wheel uh the book itself or the story or screenplay or whatever you're writing can come later because you can you can carve that out of the clay that you've that you've put on the wheel i think
0: that, i think that's very there's so many times where i've written what i sort of know is a bad chapter and then later on in the book's construction there'll be a bit scene that I go, oh, I should like foreshadow this somewhere or set up that the person can do this or give them some background. And you look and you find that scene where nothing really happens and you go, oh my gosh, this is like the perfect yeah, place to can... like just paste that in. And now this scene's more interesting and I'll set up this later one. I'm really glad I've got it.
1: That's right, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the thing, just, just like write and don't worry about it. It's meant to be fun. If it's not fun, then why are you doing it? Um, because even though I kind of talked about or compared it to kind of changing career, it doesn't have to be. And for probably for most writers, it's not, which is which is fine, you know, because writing is is wonderful. Um, so, yeah, just, just if you want to write, write.
0: Adam, thank you so much for your time and your answering all my questions uh... Sort of diverse questions on writing. It's been genuinely really enlightening. And I, I, uh, and I know I, I actually wouldn't just say that. I realize it sounds like the thing you would say at the end of an interview. I'm probably not going to end the interview by going, well, you know, uh, it was worth a try, but, um, you know, it can't all be golden. But it's genuinely really, really interesting. And I find it so, so, so useful to speak to someone who I think is temperamentally different to me write it's a different kind of thing because I, I think we can get so locked into our own ways of working, and it's really useful to hear someone go. There are other ways. If people want to find you or online uh, and you know find more of your work, where can they? Uh, where can they do that? Where's the best place for them to go?
1: Uh, probably the best place is Twitter. Where I'm on there is Ghost Finder. I spend too much time on there, so that's the best place to reach me. Um, my website is adamchristopher.co.uk, where you find all my books and stuff. And
0: I know. But that's basically it. Yeah, and I'll I'll put links to uh, the books we've discussed in the show notes and on my website. So if anyone wants to uh, uh, grab one of them and uh, check out uh, your work, then they can do exactly that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun talking to you. Oh, thank you so
1: much. Thank you so much. And
0: everybody listening, I hope you have a fantastic week of writing.